podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people? That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I am Chris Stemp, and we have John Rojas on this interview as well. Hope you're doing great today, and if not, hopefully this will cheer you up a little bit. This episode is definitely unique for a few reasons. First of all, there's two guests on at the same time, and one of these guests has been on the show in the past, at the beginning of this year. This week, we are interviewing Tony Stubblebine and Aaron Frey. Now, if you remember back to episode 137, when we initially had Tony on, you will know he is the CEO and co-founder of Lyft, a life-changing app that helps you form habits. More than that, Tony is a fanatic about human potential, creativity, and the power of action. He's a serial entrepreneur, having worked on a number of startups, including being one of the first guys at Twitter. Aaron is kind of his right-hand gal. She's a writer-in-residence and head of research at Lyft. She curates life hacks for Medium and graduated from Yale. Now, we wanted to have them on for a couple reasons. First, the first episode with Tony was incredible. People wrote in about it forever, told us how much they liked it. It was one of their favorites. And so if you haven't listened to episode 137, I urge you to go check that out. In that episode, we talk much more about being an entrepreneur what he's realized, making a ton of money and now doing a passion project, what it was like to be in early at Twitter, some really great stuff. But in this episode, completely different topic, but still makes a lot of sense for them. The subject is how to have the strongest mind in the room, wherever you are to know that your mind is rock solid and you are grounded in that moment and that you are as clear or clearer than anyone around you for the purposes of self-betterment. The way to do that is through meditation. Now, why have Tony and Aaron on to talk about meditation? Well, they have an interesting perspective because working at Lyft, founding Lyft, being the head of research there, they see tens and hundreds of thousands of habits that people form, things that people do throughout the world, why they do them, when they do them, how often, how long, what do they say about it, what's their help? So it's like a crowdsourced knowledge encyclopedia. And what they noticed is that the people that were doing some amazing things that were keeping their habits, the good habits, who were making real change, were meditating. It was a binding factor. They talked about how some of the most powerful people on earth and how people such as CEOs and even ones you wouldn't think of like Wall Street brokers, traders, the 1%, if you will, They were meditating because it is a way to get a leg up in this world. It's a way to cure multitasking, stress, a number of things. And they're putting it into their new book titled The Strongest Mind in the Room. So I think that's a good lead in. We're going to let Tony and Aaron take it from here as John and I interview them. But really quick, it's the holiday season. A lot of us are doing some shopping. If you're buying things online and using Amazon, one way to really help out the show for no cost and no additional time to you is to use our affiliate link, which is smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. All you have to do is type that in 
and it takes you directly to Amazon. Anything you buy for 24 hours, we get a small kickback, no cost to you. It helps us make a couple bucks while we're putting this out there. So please support the show. We greatly appreciate it. Smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. All right, that's it. Here it is. Tony and Aaron, hope you enjoy. Tony and Aaron, thank you both for being on the show. As we were kind of just talking about before hitting the record button, uh, for the listeners out there, we have Tony Stubblebine, who is the co-founder and CEO of Lyft, and then Aaron Frey, who is the head of research at Lyft. And uh, as many of you know, we had Tony on episode 137. Everybody loved it. People just rave about Lyft app. So if you're interested in the business side of Lyft, go listen to episode 137. What we're going to be talking about is your new book, The Strongest Mind in the Room, about mental strength. So I, I guess I wanted to start it off and say, uh, why, you know, why meditation? Why mental strength? Where did this come from? Well, I, I think for both of us, um, it comes from personal experience, first of all. That, uh, you know, meditation still, I still think of it as a spiritual practice. Like, I mean, I was just raised thinking of it as a spiritual practice. But through Lyft, we've run into all of these superhuman high achievers and a ton of them are telling us that they're using meditation to get there. And it's actually, as we start to research it, it's obvious what's going on. It's that meditation is like doing mental push-ups. like everything that you want to get done uh, that involves your brain and your mind is like made stronger through a meditation practice. You know, I've, I've heard that, analogy before about how it's kind of exercise for your mind but it's so difficult because we're not taught to and we're not raised to think of our mind our brain our thought process as a muscle that needs exercising i think we maybe take for granted the capacity that it that it has and when we do regular push-ups we see our muscles get bigger our triceps you know at least that's what i see i don't know but but um but it's hard when it's a mental practice to to think, wow, I'm really going to get something out of this because you can't visually see it. Yeah, you know, maybe this is best for Erin to, to talk about a little bit. We, you know, we've been pairing together on the book, and one of the things she's been doing is looking at the, you know, pulling out the academic papers, which totally, Erin, go ahead. I mean, it's just like completely, it's measurable now. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of the research out there. We're just writing about how meditation helps you make better decisions. And like research is showing that just one session of meditation, 15 minutes, can just change the way you make decisions. Um, reduce sunk cost bias, which is your tendency to hold on to bad investments. It's the same tendency that makes you not leave a movie when it's bad because you already paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um all this research is coming out. There's research that shows that just eight weeks will change, like literally physically change the brain, um, the shape of your brain. So while I think before you meditate, it's really easy to think, how am I ever going to notice? What's going to happen? You know, how will I notice the changes? But you actually start noticing them pretty quickly. Um, on Lyft, we did last year. We did some meditation research, and I think it was something like 75% of people who had meditated for one month noticed a change in their focus at work. So it's this um, myth that you won't notice the changes. You Mm. definitely do. In a way, it's better than uh, training physical strength. I mean, it actually takes a while before you start to see your muscles 
get bigger, right? Yeah, and yeah. this is like, you know, our research says it, hap- it can happen really quickly for you. And it's noticeable is what you're saying. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, people, at least I, I can only speak for myself, but I know my own assumptions sometimes are, well, am I even going to notice it because I can't see it? But you're saying that people clearly feel this, know this, it, and, and it's something that they recognize in their lives. So wait, have, tell me about your meditation practice. Have you, have you tried it? How far along are you? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. So I've tried it about 10 different times. I mean, I've done everything, you know, I, it's the, the carrying on with it that's been a struggle, right? But I've tried, okay, t- uh, I'm going to start with 10 minutes and I'm going to do it. You know, I've done uh, candlelight meditation where you look at a candle. I've done the focusing on the breath. I've tried guided meditation through podcasts. Um, and I, I always like it, but I just haven't been able to get, I think, past that hump, which if this isn't a layup for what Lyft does, then I don't know what is. <laughs> well, the, the thing that one of my meditation coaches did for me was not so much getting me to meditate every day, but like just giving me the context for what I'm going to get out of it. And I think that's almost the biggest problem that I see with people in meditation is they just have, they have either no expectations or the wrong expectations. And so, you know, maybe they struggle because they're not like they thought they would have a completely clear mind. That's actually the number one reason that people give up. And like the fact is that nobody has a clear mind when they meditate. That's kind of the point. And, you know, when I actually got to work with top meditation gurus, first of all, they explained to me what I was doing as I was meditating. And I, I like that you've done some of the breath meditation because, because that's the most common example of mindfulness meditation. And what's actually going on that's important, you know, the thing that you're training is to become aware that your mind has wandered and then bring it back to something. In fact, your breath almost doesn't matter here. You just have to have something to bring it back to. So when you think about your life outside of meditation, that's actually a generalizable skill that comes up all the time, right? You're working on a big project. Someone interrupts you. Then, like, do you have enough uh, awareness that you know that you've been interrupted and then enough control to bring yourself back to, um, you know, the major task that he had been working on That's sort of, um, in, a, in the, uh, productivity chapter in our book, you know, there's a section on multitasking, right? Like there's a really clear way, as I just described that meditation actually helps with multitasking. Actually, that is a subject. One of the few that I have written down, highlighted, bolded and underlined because my life has become such a mess of multitasking that it's, I mean, this is where my interest for meditation kind of came from. This is why I was really excited to talk to you. And I know a lot of people are dealing with this these days. I mean, I officially now have, I have two monitors. I have, you know, my office set up where uh, it's, it's all ergonomically correct and I can hopefully operate at a, you know, maximum capacity. And I noticed that I can't focus on one screen, one window, one tab for more than three minutes without it's either my phone or, you know, I have right now I have about 30 tabs open on on my computer and uh, I really don't like that. And I'm seeing what it does to, to for my ability to just kind of live in the moment and live with the day. So here's here's the crazy thing about multitasking. One, it doesn't actually happen. So when you multitask, what you're really doing is you're very quickly switching between tasks. 
which is obviously really tiring for your brain because it's not used to doing that. Um, and then other, you know, there's research showing that the more you multitask, the less able you are to focus. So just like meditation, as you practice it, helps you focus more and more. As you multitask more and more, you're less able to focus. So this effect you're seeing, which we're all seeing because, I mean, advertisers, technology, a lot of it out there does distract you and is made to distract you. It's priming you to lose your focus because that's how, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So that's the other important thing about meditation. It's, it's almost becoming necessary in our, our new world. So, in, and I've heard similar things to that before, and I, I totally wholeheartedly believe it. What I don't quite get is the uh, link between meditation and that, you know, that multitasking. And I understand what Tony was saying in terms of, and maybe that's the answer, but it allows you to notice when you're being pulled off task. Is that the main uh, way that meditation helps with multitasking and focus? Yeah, I mean, that awareness of your inner dialogue, right? And this is, I mean, I think almost meditation is sold as the wrong thing, that the vast majority of people who come to meditation are thinking that the main benefit is going to be a calming effect. So in a way, they're, they're almost not aware that they're building the strength around awareness that they could use other places. But you know, to take this back to a training mentality, you know, when you go to the gym, you lift weights, right? Like mm-hmm. over and over again, you do like multiple sets and every repetition is supposedly building physical strength for you. It's exactly the same when you meditate is that every time your mind wanders and you bring it back, you've done one repetition, right? It just is it like you've done one repetition of a bench press or a squat, and uh, it's actually, that's sort of counterintuitive to most people because most people think it's bad every time their mind wanders. But in fact, it's good, right? That's mm-hmm. like, if your mind never wandered, you'd never get any reps at uh, being, becoming more aware of it and learning to control it. And so, uh, you know, as we write this book, it's almost every task that we see in the business world or the sports world just requires some level of awareness and mental control. We talked to a researcher about procrastination who is like, who who just laid it out completely. Procrastination is you avoiding some minor bad feeling that hasn't surfaced beyond your subconscious, but you can become aware of that. And then once you're aware of it, you can control it. Uh, uh, we just did something on uh, writing and your the way your inner critic slows you down. And it's just, you're, it slows you down because you're not really aware of it at, a, at, your, um, at your sort of highest level, right? It's, it's very subconscious. And so, like, all of these things come back to your performance is just greatly improved if you train awareness of your inner dialogue uh, regularly, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking, relating it to, uh, I recently just went through coach training. So I'm uh, I'm, uh, trained as a life coach. And one of the things that they teach is, you know, we're not here to answer and solve all the problems. We're here to help the client become more aware of what's going on, maybe dig a little bit deeper, see things from different perspectives. And then as that awareness grows, you can come up with unique and exciting solutions or options. And it almost kind of sounds like that's the idea. It's Look, meditation will just, it will help you become aware and control uh, and understand that, that mental chatter in order for you to implement that into your life a little bit better. That's exactly right. 
I don't know. What are are there things? I'm curious. Things maybe we can work work through some of the goals you have in your own life. Like, what are what are things places where you think you you wish you were mentally stronger? You know, for me, it really is um, because I'm. I, I guess I have three jobs now. I work for a nonprofit. I do this podcast, and I'm getting my coaching off the ground. Um, so it really comes down to that never focusing on one thing because I'm always thinking about. It, 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 simultaneously, I could be doing something better for both other businesses while I'm working on one. And then as I do that, I'm thinking, oh, I'm really dropping the ball on the one I'm currently focusing on. So it's totally a lack of just ability to to make the decision, you know, block everything else out, focus, and almost com- compartmentalize, if that makes sense. You know what that, that reminds me of is the procrastination research we talked about. Because it's like when you describe this to me, it's so clear that you're clear that that's not how you want to operate. Right. Right. Like all of those cross currents of negative thinking are just hampering the thing that you're trying to get done in the moment. Right. Right. So the problem when we talk to this procrastination researcher, I think this actually applies to a lot of different areas, is what he called procrastination is he called it short term mood repair. And so essentially, that you know you have this thing that you want to do next, but you have some low-level anxiety that's getting in the way, right? So for you, I mean, a lot of people have anxiety that's like boredom, right? Like I don't want to do it because it looks boring, <laughs> but they don't. They never voice that. They never voice it even to themselves. So even like you're in this moment, you're working on I don't know, like editing the podcast. And you're thinking, like, I really should be, like, recruiting for my coaching business or something, right? Exactly, exactly. You have this anxiety about this other thing that you're not doing in the moment that is just, like, causing slowness or probably some paralysis in the task that you have in hand. So now the question is, how do you get out of that? And this is, I don't know, we, I'm trying to think, like, what is the best analogy for for you guys? I, I feel like... A good analogy comes from this book, uh, Thinking Fast and, and Thinking Slow. It's, it's, you sort of have these two systems in your mind. One is very reactive and one is very slow, rational, and effortful. So in an ideal world, your slow, your slow brain would be working all the time because that's the rational brain. That's the brain you trust, right? But in your everyday life, you're the fast, you know, fast brain, the system one, as they call it in this book, is making a lot of the decisions for you. And so when we talk to this procrastination researcher, you basically explain meditation as the process by which you're taking a decision from one of those systems, from the fast system to the slow system. So, and the best way that you can take that to your, you know, your slow, rational, effortful brain is to put words to something, right? Your instinctual brain doesn't work with words at all. But the second you've placed words to a feeling that you're having, you're forcing your rational brain to come to the forefront and work on it. And so that's like when we say like to have awareness, that's what's really going on is that like, you know, you're struggling with too many ideas in your head, but you haven't named any of it. And so like that's all of these feelings that are forcing instinctual decisions. But the second you name it, the second you say, well, listen, I'm supposed to be editing this podcast, but I keep feeling bad about this other task, about this, my coaching business. But that's silly because I need to get this podcast done no matter what. 
I'm just going to focus on it, right? Mm. Like when you say those words out loud, it just really lets your rational brain take over. And there's, I mean, this idea comes from a lot of different places. I've heard other people call it the elephant and the rider. Your elephant is this big, lumbering, emotional beast that's going, you know, wherever it wants. And every now and then this tiny, you know, weak-willed, rider on top of the elephant like wakes up and said and whips it and goes no no go left go left (laughs) right but the rest of the time it's asleep right so you just need tricks to wake up the rider and i mean that's what meditation is i mean that was one of the best descriptions i've ever heard because you so quickly identified the idea of anxieties behind like you know, procrastinating. Like it's not that there's too many things to do. It's that you're not willing to put, or I'm not willing to put one thing in front of me and conquer that because there are, uh, anxieties and fears and, uh, you know, all these things around it. And I know that's a very common thing. I I talk to entrepreneurs and people trying to get things off the ground and artists, whether it comes to writing or musicians. And I think, as you mentioned, oftentimes it's, we kind of disguise those, um, those inner thoughts by, you know, calling them other things or just ignoring them. And I love the fact that what you said, putting words to it, uh, is, is a way to just force yourself to say, here's what's happening and move on. It's, it's, I love it. I mean, just to make this super actionable and when I find myself procrastinating, I've trained myself to just ask myself, what am I feeling? And I don't just like feel the feeling. When I answer that question, what am I feeling? I say, I am feeling boredom. I'm feeling fatigue and this next task looks really hard. Um, I'm feeling hunger, right? Like all of those feelings come up. And then the second I name them, I have a shot at doing what I actually want to do. And wait, Aaron, when did we do the awareness exercise together? Were you the person I learned that from? We did. And actually, the awareness exercise is what got me into meditating. Because I, like you, when I started, I tried the 10-minute session, couldn't get into it, tried guided meditation. And this is really great awareness exercise um, by Will Kabat-Zinn, um, who's a famous meditation instructor. And the way it works is you sit with someone else, and you take turns saying, I am aware. And it could be, I am aware of your shirt being blue. I'm aware of my nose itching. I am aware of the sound outside of the construction. Um, so you go back and forth. And, and the key to it, though, is that every sentence starts with I am aware. Because when you set, start a sentence with I am aware, you have to finish it in a certain way. You know, you have to finish it in a way that names all of the things that are going on. And, um, and that's what kind of creates this awareness construct that, you know, that your rational brain can hook into. So we did this exercise together, which was like super trippy. And, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, you know, we're coworkers, you know, and suddenly like, we're like staring at each other right. for five minutes. Exactly. Saying, I'm, right? I was and just was thinking like, that I was like, man, that is so weird. Aaron, your boss is staring <laughs> at you. Tight. Like, Oh my God, I would have freaked out. <laughs> Lyft is a goofy company that way. Like we just like, it's not that we want to be super trippy, but it just, it comes up because of the nature of the work. Sure. Um, I'm just thankful we haven't done like hugging therapy. (laughs) Trust falls coming in the lift. (laughs) It's actually uh, an interesting fact. The, uh, you know, the world's expert in uh, hugging therapy uh, lives right here in San Francisco in the hate. And for like, 
$50 an hour, you can sit with him and he'll just hug you. Wow. Yeah, I can't believe there's a hugging expert. It's awesome. I like to think I'm pretty good at giving hugs. Can I? San Francisco economy. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I can say that because I'm from San Francisco. Exactly. It's okay for me to make fun of But it. related to that point of, um, well, somewhat related, you had mentioned that you started with 10-minute sessions. So the most successful people on Lyft actually have started with either a meditation, a mindfulness exercise like that, which is really short um, and guided, um, or, you know, one to five minute sessions. So I think sometimes when you, if you or your listeners are struggling with the meditation they're doing, it's, I think it's really common to think, oh, I'm failing at meditation. No, you either, maybe it's too long for you, or maybe it's not the right meditation. Maybe for you, you need, you know, you need a guided session, or maybe you're better at just counting breaths. There are so many types of meditation, and I think that people forget that they should experiment with them. For instance, sometimes, meditate with my guitar. I'll play the same tune, pluck the same two chords over and over and over again. Um, and it gets me into this flow state where I'm just like thinking about nothing. And then, well, that's a bad definition, but <laughs> I'm just, you know, focusing just on that. So I have a question about this awareness activity and how it helps with productivity. So if you get to the point where you're telling yourself, okay, I know I'm aware that I am bored right now, how do you get yourself back on track? And do you always have to just, you know, determine that you know you are bored, but do you allow your mind to go to other places or do you always have to come back to that, that one thing that you were doing? Yeah, I don't experience it as a 100% successful thing. What I experience it as is that my block for not for for procrastinating is so trivial that it almost always just goes away, right? We're not talking about like the anxiety of jumping out of an airplane, right? We're talking about the anxiety of filling out a single form looks too boring, right? You know, <laughs> and so the second I realize what trivial thing has tripped me up, it's just like, oh, well, what the hell? I should just go do this right now. And, yeah, I'm not sure what percentage you would say it is, but, you know, let's say it's 80% of procrastination is just is just being caused by some completely boring, trivial, stupid, you know, feeling that you're having. So just, like, the awareness actually does the heavy lifting, I think, for most people. Hmm. Because once you realize it's trivial, then you just, you just cruise right by it. It's not, it's not a matter of, like, really you know, white knuckling your way through it, right? It's not that hard. It's just not that hard. You're not, you're usually not procrastinating over anything that's that, you know, really that serious. And sometimes it just helps you to reframe the task at hand. So you might not be writing, like for me, I might not be writing a chapter. Maybe I'm procrastinating writing something that I'm supposed to. And then I'll step back and say, okay, but why, why am I procrastinating on this? And it could be that I reframed it the wrong way, or maybe it needs to be broken down into two different sections. So it can let you ask the questions you need to ask to get through the block. You don't always know what the cause of the block is, but it'll get you on that path. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really interested, you know, having both of you on, on this call, talking about procrastination, and, and Tony, as you mentioned, uh, oftentimes it's something small and you just decide to do it. But I mean, you, you're an entrepreneur, you've started this company, um, I know you've done a lot of similar things in the past, things that are extremely time-intensive, risky, difficult, 
Um, it's an emotional roller coaster. Reasons to have anxiety and reasons to procrastinate. And Aaron, as you were just talking about writing a book, like uh, writing a book is hard work. I mean, just thinking about hundreds of pages is enough to shut most people down. So those are real. That's that's a real thing. That that that's not as simple as oh, I'm bored or I'm hungry. That's like, man, this is a year of my life to write a book. Um, do you see? You know, I know this kind of goes into meditation a little bit. It might it might be more just mental strength or what you both have learned. But um, what do you think about getting past those major blocks? You know, it's funny. Like we're talking about procrastination as like, I don't, you know, it's almost like, you know, there's so much guilt around it. But, you know, really the core of everything that Lyft does is we're interested in superhuman performance, right? And it turns out, it just turns out that even superhuman performers are tripped up by little things or can be improved by improving the little things. And then also it turns out that meditation plays, uh, can play really big roles, right? That, you know, as you come to know yourself, actually the lift for me is not a very risky business because uh, I came to understand that, you know, this is like, this is my life's work, as I say. Like this is the thing I'm most interested in and that I could spend decades uh, working on just because I find it so fascinating. And so it's actually the problem with uh, my last company, which we might have talked about in the last episode, was just simply I didn't know myself well enough, mm-hmm. right? I'd started a company and I thought, all right, I'm going to make this succeed no matter what. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, I remember. Right? Yeah. And it's like it's such a sad story. It's like it, and, you know, three years into it, it succeeded, right? And I had happy customers and like money was good and I had a lot of free time. And so then I had to ask myself, Oh, why the hell did I do that? Right? Because I didn't re- like I just didn't realize that that wasn't that um, we're selling software to conferences. I didn't realize that that really wasn't where I wanted to spend the rest of my life. I didn't really realize how much I like working as compared to leisure time. A lot of people who are unhappy at work dream about leisure time, but it's actually like fulfilling work trumps both of those. I think, and like in that awareness of myself, right? I feel like meditation has also played a big role in um, leadership. Like We have a whole leadership chapter in the works in this book, which is partly about connecting to people, partly about overcoming cognitive biases. You know, I think you'd have to say in my last company that I was having um, really major biases around, uh, you know, external validation, you know, that I just really wanted to show everyone that I could do this. And I believe that that mattered to me, even though I have no real evidence that, you know, that it would. And so um, that that awareness is it plays a big role, not into and not just in the trivial day to day stuff like procrastination, but also in the really big stuff like vision and leadership and creativity, you know, a lot of a lot of big areas as well. And you were saying that you you find yourself multitasking a lot and you, you don't feel good. And I think as I've meditated more and more, I I really enjoy focusing on something more and more. And I think just naturally over time, you start to fo- like think about and be aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you'll, you'll start asking yourself the questions that you need to ask to, to make those good decisions and overcome those harder problems, right? Like, why are you doing the work you're doing? Or how do I overcome X, Y, Z? And um, I think gradually you just, you start to spend your time better because you're thinking about how you're spending your time. 
so as I said, I, I, I can't say that I've successfully meditated and, and kind of come to the conclusions yet that you guys uh, have. And man, A, I can't wait to read the book. But B, I'm, I'm excited to, to give these a try, especially the awareness thing. But what I will say, and, and I'd like to hear your kind of definition of meditation, but I do know that the few times in my life when I've kind of escaped, so uh, I went to Arizona, took a bunch of time off work, just did things I like. Or even when I went on my honeymoon, I was in a different country. Nobody could reach me. There was nothing. There, there was literally no con, like uh, constraints on my brain. And I've never felt better than after those experiences. And I think it was mostly because that, in my mind, is a, was a form of meditation. I, I, didn't, I wasn't judging my thoughts. I wasn't worried about things. I was just kind of being. Does that sound like a kind of... Uh, one of the things that meditation can can do for you? Yeah, I like that you asked us to kind of go deeper into the definition there. Because I think of meditation as as basically train like training that touches at least one of three elements. Awareness, which we've talked about a lot. Control, like when you bring your focus back to your breath, that's you taking control of, of your focus. And the, other, the third is calm. And I think calm is the thing that most people think about when they think about meditation. Because, right, your mind is so busy, it's so overloaded, it's so tired, it's so exhausted. Of course it's not performing at its peak. And there's a lot of different ways that you can, um, that you can exercise the calm. I know for me, for a long, I've always done that through exercise, actually. Like, I, I really like endurance sports, cycling, swimming, running and I just find that after a little while I get into a nice calm flow state and that's my time every day where my mind gets to calm down it vacation plays that same role most forms of meditation uh, touch on it in some way I mean just physically the act of focusing on your breath of breathing like long deep breaths actually can physically calm your body down so you know when I think of meditation I think of anything I mean, I don't care about Buddhism or like, you know, Zazen or any specific forms. That's not the point when we're talking about meditation as a uh, performance or competitive advantage, right? We're, we're just talking about a way to train one of these three characteristics. And, and once you start to look at it that way, you start to realize that there's all different forms of meditation. Um, I had a guy challenge me to take a, you know, full body uh, ice bath, you know, and he said, well, you know, the trick is to meditate your way into it. And so, you know, I put a toe in like this, this is freaking cold, man. And I just thought about that, that toe and my mind would water a little bit. Then I'd come back to it. And suddenly my, you know, the cold turns into like a little bit of a burning sensation, start to put your whole body in, you kind of inch your way in. And, you know, instead of like hating it and really like being stressed out, you could actually focus on the sensation of it, which is not good and which I haven't returned to because, you know, but on the other hand, it was a legit meditation uh, where you just pick something to focus on and, um, and keep bringing your attention back to it. I found like it actually totally qualified as meditation. And sometimes during a hard workout, I'll think, all right, why don't I meditate on my legs right now? Like I'm on the bike, my uh, quads are burning. Tell me more, you know, and uh, I'll just ask my body, like what, what's really going on with those quads? And I think that's, a, that's an awareness exercise. And, um, you know, there just ends up being a lot of examples once you take a, 
um, a broad definition like that. You know, I think I realized as you were saying, as you were going through that, one of the blocks I have on meditation is how you're, you're kind of just, you're being aware, but you're not trying to solve anything. So it's hard in, in a mindset and in a society, I think where we're taught, you can, if you put your mind to it, you can solve it. So we spend all day putting our mind to a problem and meditation is almost like, uh, not putting your mind to a problem. And it and it it's kind of confusing. Yeah, I, I could see, I could see where you would get to that. It's funny because I, I don't have that experience hardly at all, and I think it, it's because I just completely think of it as repetitions, right? Like the problem I'm solving while meditating is you know going through that loop of awareness, focus, breathe, 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 awareness, focus, breathe, breathe, breathe. And it just feels so natural to me because it's like. I mean, how many miles have I put on as a runner, as a cyclist, where it's just really monotonous that way? I wonder if for you or for any of your listeners, it has to do with the struggle has to do with this desire to have a calm mind, right? When you right. go into it thinking that that's your goal, like my goal, mind is going to be really calm this time. <laughs> of course, you, you resist that because that's unnatural and it's unnatural for everyone. And so meditation teachers tell you all of this stuff that doesn't, quite make sense about, you know, just uh, letting it come and go and, you know, just non-judgmental, you know, be non-judgmental. If your mind is going to be calm, it's going to be calm, right? And that's just impossible if your goal is to have a calm mind. And so the way that it worked for me is I just moved my emphasis. My goal is to do reps, you know, like how many push-ups can I do today? How many times can I bring my mind, you know, back under control? And that's a goal that's actually pretty straightforward to achieve for me. And so I ended up really uh, not struggling that much. But I've definitely felt, I think, what you're saying is this, this want to just be. I think that is something that some people really want to gain. Um, sometimes your mind, through thinking all these thoughts and being distracted, is just is trying to solve, like create problems to solve that you don't have, just thinking in the back of your mind. Um, and sometimes meditation is just, are you okay with being with being in the present, how it is, like not having to react to everything or plan everything or think about everything, like with you, not having to worry about, you know, your all the work you're not doing by editing your podcast. And meditation can definitely help with just being okay with the present. I have a completely different experience from what Chris has here because I did the that 21-day meditation with Deepak Chopra and I loved it. I mean, I went through the the 21 days and I remember telling Chris, like, this is the greatest I've ever felt. I can, and at the time I was unemployed too. So I had, you know, all the time during the day I was doing projects and actually seeing them through. But my thing now is now that I have another full-time job, I procrastinate instead of doing meditation, which is weird. So what kind of advice do you have to people that have seen the benefits from it, but then just can't find the time for it. Although that's a terrible thing because we can all find time. All you, time. you know, there, there's a saying about that, right? It's like meditate for 20 minutes every day. If you can't find the time, meditate for an hour. <laughs> right? I and, love that. Um, but actually, you know, we, we just like that saying as a joke, basically the, um, the person who helped me get into meditation, you know, one of the things he explained to me is that, Having meditated 
and you will have just built up a skill that will be with you for the rest of your life. At that point, the point of continuing to meditate is to prime your brain so that you have access to that skill more readily. Mm. So that's basically my experience of meditation is that I'm not meditating every day. I go through stretches where I don't meditate. But when I do meditate, and when, so when I'm off meditation, I know I have access to that skill set, and I will bring it when I need it. Um, but when I am back on a meditation practice, it just comes up so much more naturally. And, you know, and this is like in all of our research, because we, you know, Lyft has helped 75,000 people meditate. So we go to them when we have questions, like we can survey them, we can look at it, uh, you know, statistically what works and what doesn't. And they just go to short meditation, right? All like once you know how to meditate, all you're really trying to do is just prime that skill again. So I started meditating on my commute. I take the subway to work in San Francisco. It's the BART. I was in New York recently on their subway, and it's like a little bit awkward. You sit sideways in the, and you get bounced around. You know, <laughs> so my eyes are closed, my arms are wrapped around my backpack, and I'm bouncing side to side off of people. But you know what? It was still a meditation, and I could still feel how much stronger I felt uh, the rest of the day. And all, so, all the same rules of behavior science apply. You know, if you even the most experienced meditators who can meditate for an hour sometimes don't have time and will just breathe 10 breaths to fit in their meditation each day. I mean, that was also, I think, one of the key findings was to gain the most benefit, just make time every day, even if it's just a really quick meditation. Um, and then if you're having trouble fitting it into your schedule, try doing it at another time. Try doing it at the same time. A lot of people start their day with meditation. And I think just like um, right after they wake up and just like people who start an exercise habit in the morning, it's just easier because it's the first thing you do. There's mm -hmm. far less distracting you from it. If you decide that's the first thing you're going to do each day, um, like Tony does it on his commute. So going onto the train um, triggers him to start meditating. So I think all of that applies just like with any other habit. Yeah, and it's it's so great to, to be talking to you guys about this because you have access to so much information. And in, in the world today, information being, you know, the such a resource that for you to say, look, meditation is what we found as one of the primary ways to become superhuman for for all of the the people that you're able to get information from, that's really incredible. I mean, it could have been a lot of things, and and it is right. You have diet and exercise and sleep, and I'm sure all of that obviously plays a role. But to pick meditation out from everything you've seen, uh, it, it says a lot about the practice, and I think it puts a lot of emphasis on its importance. You know where you see, I think, a lot of that thought is actually in the title of the book, right? Because as we researched meditation, we found that it basically had a bad rap where people were having a hard time admitting that they were meditating or encouraging their peers and coworkers to meditate, essentially because meditation has been sort of so thoroughly tied to um, a spiritual practice or you know, the calming elements is often um, just a way to treat uh, people who are dealing with problems like you know, depression or severe anxiety. And so it's just like we wanted a title that accurately explained what we were seeing in the world. Like why are hedge fund managers meditating? It's not because they're like wanting to be more spiritual. I mean, this is like a cold-blooded financial calculation, right? <laughs> like they're meditating because they make money when they're free of cognitive bias. And they know that they have tons of biases and they're trying to get away from that. 
Um, why do politicians meditate? Their whole job is like meeting and greeting people and having this incredible presence, right? Like that awareness and like focus and just like when they talk to someone, you know, Bill Clinton was famous for this, right? When he talked to you, you were the only person in the room, right? Right. Like, look, if, if I talk to you at a party, like my eyes are darting left and right for the hors d'oeuvres, right? <laughs> they, there's no way you don't, you don't feel like the only person in the room at all, right? It takes this incredible skill set. And so these very ambitious people, I mean, even Kobe Bryant, like probably, you know, one of the most ruthlessly competitive basketball players you know, since Michael Jordan, at least, is like has come out as having tried meditation. So we wanted a, you know, a book title that like made it okay to talk about meditation for really, you know, almost selfish aims, right? Like my goal is comp- a competitive advantage over my peers. It's increased performance in some sort of competitive field. That's okay. That's actually a really great usage for meditation. So we've been trying to like steer it completely, you know, away from its, you know, initial roots and just talk about it in this way that I think a lot of people, you know, might have never considered meditation before. Yeah, I I love the title and actually it reminded me of and I, I the things blanking, but what's the the book and I think it was in a movie about uh the financial people that were it's the something something in the room. Have you heard that one? Yeah, uh like the sharpest the smartest, this man might even be the smartest men in the room. I don't know. Um, but, but I love that. And your guys' upcoming book, The Strongest Mind in the Room, can be found on book.lift.do, where our listeners can go and request a, a free chapter on there. But is there anywhere else that you guys want our listeners to go? I mean, do you blog places, tweet? I know, Tony, we've had you on before, so people can listen to that episode and hear more. But if there's anywhere yeah. else you guys want to point our listeners, please feel free. Well, one, um, we're, we have more than just one free chapter up for people who sign up on book.lift.do. Ooh, we're, nice. we're releasing the chapters as we write them. So um, they should definitely get on that mailing list. Anyone who wants to learn meditation can go to lift.do slash meditation or download the app and then search for meditation, guided meditation in, um, in the goals section. And they'll have access to tons of free meditation videos that it can help them get through the first few days. It's so funny. John and I both reach for our phone instantly and open the app store. Not even kidding, because that was going to be the the final thing was where, you know, where what would you recommend for people to start this meditation practice? And it, so it's lift.do slash meditation. That's on the web, okay. um, but you'll find it if you download Lyft uh, in the Android store or in the um, the app store. Um, just go to add a goal and go down to, I think it's called guided meditations and you'll have, we have various ones from calm.com, UCLA meditation, something called positive affirmations, which, um, are, are different than guided meditation, than the mindfulness meditation. Cause they, um, kind of go through, how would you define an affirmation? I mean, it's just like, Hey, you're a great person. It's like Stuart Smalley on, uh, I was just on, about on, to say Stuart Smalley. <laughs> But it's actually, you know, there's science behind it, right? It's like there's just something about activating neurons in your brain makes them more likely to be activated again. And so it's like tricks like forcing yourself to smile makes you happier. It's the same positive affirmations. Kind of you hear them and you think about them and you become more like that person you're thinking of in the moment, you know, as you take the affirmations. 
and that actually that plays a role for the you know the rest of your day. Absolutely. Well, Tony and Aaron, such a pleasure. I really was looking forward to talking, Aaron, to talking to you uh, for the first time, and Tony to getting uh, a chance to speak with you again, as our listeners definitely loved uh, our, the previous interview with you. So thank you both so much, uh, awaiting anxiously the rest of the book to come out. So thanks for bringing that to us. And, and, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, again, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Well, honor to be invited back. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Absolutely. You guys have a great night. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Tony and Aaron. Don't forget their book, The Strongest Mind in the Room, can be found at book.lift.do. You can sign up for free chapters of that book. They release the chapters as they write them. So as long as you're on the mailing list, you will have access to those chapters. Definitely worth checking out, especially if you've ever been interested in meditation or just want to see what all the uh, the hype's about. And I can personally say that when I tried meditation, absolutely loved it. As a reminder, as we enter the holiday season, do not forget to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link. Anytime you make Amazon purchases, head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com and click on the Amazon banner over there, or just go to the link smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Smart People Podcast, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a review and comment over there. We truly do love getting feedback from you guys. That's it for this week. If you want to follow all things Smart People Podcast, don't forget you can head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. See you guys next week. <laughs>